0: All right, so this is the uh, fourth class, I believe, uh, in First John. We're going to pick up in verse 8 where we left off, uh, and I'm sure we will make some, uh, make some side points as we go through this. To go ahead and get us caught back up, I will go ahead and read back from uh, verse 5 through verse 7, and we'll pick back up on verse 8. So if you will, go ahead and follow along with me. First John chapter 1, we'll start in verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Well, if you recall last week, we did talk about having fellowship Uh, with God and with one another. There is a basis for for fellowship, and that is through the gospel. We discussed that last week a little bit. He's actually going to continue his same thought that we just read, basically through the next couple of verses, but we'll begin to break this down here a little bit. Starting in verse 8, he says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This is actually extremely prominent today within many of the religious groups around us. So what's he showing us here if we really study our scriptures? For somebody to go out and to teach that one no longer sins, as is taught by, and you guys know it, many of the faith-only groups around us, um, or that after you become a Christian, you cannot sin such as to fall from grace, That is a lie. Now, let me break it down. There's there's a lot of different unusual things taught. There are some that teach things like this. Well, you can sin as an alien sinner, somebody who's not obeyed the gospel. But once you become a Christian, you can no longer sin. Okay? Then you have those who teach, uh, and there's different variations. You have those that teach grace only uh, covers everything. But as you begin to look here, he makes this very clear here that everybody has sinned, right? Look at Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, as we continue on in John, he's going to explain to us why he's telling us this. But I thought I'd go back and pull one example. It's one that you're all aware of. We do have an example of somebody sinning so as to fall from grace. We're going to look over at Galatians 5.4. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Now, in context, he's talking about the law of Moses. Uh, He says, ye are fallen from grace. Now, does anybody recall what some of these Judaizers were doing? They were being justified by the law of Moses, but how were they trying to do? they, They were trying to be justified by the law of Moses. How were they doing that? What were they telling other people they needed to do? follow the old law in addition to the new law. So they were binding things that they ought not to bind, which is sinful. And it's just as sinful as binding something that's not uh, required is just as bad as not doing things that are required. Okay, Uh, We're not to transgress or to go beyond. And you can do that either by removing or by adding to. Okay, So this is just one example of somebody who's sinning. By binding, as Jerry said, the law of Moses upon those desiring to become Christians or those who already were. Some were actually saying you've got to come through the law of Moses uh, to become a Christian. And some were saying as a Christian, you have to continue to abide by the law of Moses. Can anybody think of groups today that require their members to abide by the law of Moses? Now, these people here that were saying you have to live by the law of Moses, it's very clear they had fallen from grace. What groups do that today? There's a couple of specific groups. I'll help you out. Messianic Jews, they do that. Take the Old Testament, New Testament, uh, intermix the two together, just like these Judaizers. Seventh-day Adventists, they do the same thing. They take uh, both the old law, the new law, they combine them together. They bind what uh, they should not be binding. Now he goes on here in verse 8, and, well, as, actually, as we learned in verse 7, continue, verse 7, continued cleansing of the blood requires continued repentance of sin and then faithfulness as shown in the, vol- in the following verses. Now, let's get some information here. Notice what he says. And this ought to bring something from, to your mind from the Old Testament. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does that make anybody think of statements we find in the Old Testament? I'll, I'll help you out. If you will, I will. Right? There, was always, uh, there was always the requirements for being in that covenant relationship with God. It was not a one-sided covenant where he basically said, I'm just going to bless you. It was always, if you will, I will. Right? That's exactly what we find here in 1 John 1.9. So, no man is sinless, we just covered that, covered that in the previous verse, we covered it in Romans 3.23, and thus, because we're not sinless, we should confess our sins because we've been commanded to repent of our sins. Now, let's break it down a little bit simpler here. Faithful and just if we confess our sins, as noted earlier in the verse. That clearly refutes faith only, doesn't it? You guys see the exclusion or the exclusion right there, right? If we do it, then he will. What does faith only teach? You don't have to do anything, right? Uh, it doesn't matter what you do, God, God's grace will cover it. Well, clearly this refutes that. Uh, and again, that is the primary. That's the primary thought process amongst certainly all of your Calvinistic groups, almost all of them. There are a few that would be somewhat Calvinistic or partially and have some variance. But for the most part, every one of your Calvinistic groups, uh, community churches, so forth, the majority of them teach faith only, and this clearly refutes that. Right? They all love to quote part of the verse, but they don't want to quote all of the verse. Right? They want to talk about, well, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Well, they forgot the very first portion, right? Now, here's a question that I've had before, and we probably should discuss this a little bit. Certainly, we know that confession comes before the forgiveness, but here's what a lot of people struggle with, and I've been asked a number of times. Some ask, is public confession always necessary? And the answer would be no, not always. So let's talk a little bit about that. And here's what I, I normally try to tell people um, Sin, sin must be repented of as widely as it is known. Sin can be repented of or confessed to a brother for a number of different reasons, but let me, let's, just, let's just pick one. Um, let's say that somebody has harbored anger towards a brother or sister in Christ, and nobody's ever known about it. They've never been rude to anybody. You guys ever known someone that even when they were mad and, and they... They disliked something, they just kept it to themselves, right? They weren't confrontational. So, is it sinful for us to be hate, hate, or hate, have hate within our heart towards a brother or sister in Christ? It's sinful to think that and to act that way and harbor hate against somebody, but nobody ever saw the outward expression of it, right? So, could they, could they just repent of that within themselves, no longer do that and continue to move on and be faithful? Do they have to go tell somebody of every sin that they do? How about this? How about if they did, how about if they did blow, up, blow up at them, they've been harboring anger for months and months and months, and they blew up and exploded on them in front of everybody, and the person was just sitting there like in shock? Is that a little bit different? Yeah, there, there's two totally different things. How about the private sins that nobody wants to talk about? Nobody even really wants us to mention them in Bible study, do they? Right? Lust, pornography, things like that. Uh, How about if somebody is... Ooh, I don't want to bring that one up. Let's bring up another one. I I guess we'll just bring them all up. What happens if there's a member within the congregation who... They could be committing fornication and nobody would ever know. It could be kept secret. Nobody ever knew but maybe two people. <laughs> Certainly at least two people have to know. How about adultery where you've been going out and on dates and so forth with somebody besides your spouse? Do you not think that people in town would have seen that? How long do you think it would take before that gets out? Do you think you could do you think you could repent of that without there being at least some public knowledge there would have to be some there would have to be some knowledge of that uh and again it it may it may be that it was very well kept and only a couple of people know but who would need to know about repentance on that if that were the case you should
1: trying
0: to work out our own sin we can't work them out ourselves so there's a couple of things with Jerry's statement we are told to confess our sins one to another now we know that we don't all confess every sin to each other however what is the best way if you have an issue to stop the issue I touched on it last week It's to let somebody else know right I mean how else are you going to be accountable if you don't tell somebody regarding a serious issue serious sin. It doesn't tell us if it's serious or not
1: serious. It just says you confess your sin to one another.
0: It doesn't mean. Do you think you have to confess every single sin? Is that what you're saying? It doesn't tell us not to. Do you do that? Do you tell somebody of every single sin? I, I probably should, maybe a little bit. I don't think there's anywhere that tells us we have to confess every single sin. I mean, I would question. It's quite,
1: just not clear one
0: way or the other. Th- and that's why I always tell people it should be confessed as widely as it is known. So if if five people knew that I was involved in sin and I repented of it, they would need to know I repented of it. Uh, Otherwise, it could get around that I was involved in sin. Well, there is is a... No, I'm not even going to do that one. not even going to do it. I I
1: believe it's... You know, there's certain things we can work through
0: ourselves, but there's a lot of things we can't. I agree with you 100%. Let me do this very general. Oh, go ahead. Well, that's what I was gonna say. I mean if I accidentally
1: curse by myself in house, I'm just gonna be like, Oh, I can't believe I just did that. I'm sorry, I'm gonna repent. Now if it's a habit, then yeah, I should probably confess that to somebody, like, hold me accountable because obviously this is an issue in my
0: life that I need to get under control. Let's do let's look at it another way. And I know a lot of it's always hard to to do when you just make up stuff, but Let's say that there was a congregation in sin. Let's say that they had—I'll just make something up extreme. Let's say that they had, or they had, uh, they had female—they decided to have female elders. Uh, and let's say that nobody knew about it but the congregation. If the only people that knew about it was the people within the congregation but they decided that this was unscriptural, do you think repentance would need to be made within that congregation? Now, if, if nobody else knew about it, would they need to go out and tell the entire brotherhood that they, had, that they had sinned and that they had repented, if nobody else knew about it? Or is that different than if you had a minister who was going to gospel meetings and preaching, let's say uh, he was preaching faith-only salvation, and he was going to congregations everywhere, so everybody knew that he was teaching faith-only salvation. Would that be a little bit different than the other example? I'm just trying to make these up, so they're not always probably the best examples. But do you see the difference in outreach of how far the sin was known and, and who, it could have infe- who it could have affected?
1: Yeah, but I'm, I'm talking more about the, the personal sin and oh. things that we struggle with. So obviously, when it becomes a brotherhood issue, right? That's totally different. Yeah. Or false teachers. But when when we deal with sin, kinda of like Sam was saying, there's we have struggles with certain things and those are important for us to not get accountability partners per se. Yeah. But when you when you actually confess a sin, it takes that off your shoulders, right?
0: Yep. Well, and I was thinking a little bit differently, but same idea here. So let's say it is a, let's say it is a private sin and nobody, nobody is aware of it. I'm literally confessing the sin to myself when I'm, if I repent of it. If I'm, if I'm willing to acknowledge that I have a problem with whatever, whatever that sin is, one, I'm acknowledging it and confessing it to myself. Now, there's another passage Jerry's referring to talking about confessing uh, to fellow Christians. You do, right. y- yeah. You're confessing your sins to you. Not only to God, but to yourself. And, and you,
1: that's our conversation we have with God, right? Yes. Through, through Jesus.
0: And that benefits us. Yep. So I was, I was kind of thinking the same line. Uh, if you were to be involved in something and a lot of people knew about it there's no question about it that it needs to be it needs to be publicly confessed if you're doing something and only a few people knew about it probably still needs to be publicly confessed and why would the reason let's say two people in the congregation knew about it you could go tell those two people but there may be a bigger issue what what might that be I'm not gonna say gossip but let's say there's no gossip it still may have spread why would that be Could you let somebody else know about somebody else's issue and not be gossiping? What might what might a reason be that you'd have you would let somebody else know even though you were not gossiping? Serial killer. Huh? Serial (laughs) killer. You mean like police? Yeah. You being serious? Okay. Protection. Protection would be one. We don't have them here. But if can I pick on Holly? If if I were to find out that Holly was involved in something really bad, who might I need to go tell within the congregation? There's a couple of people, possibly. That's the first place I was going. El- an eldership may need to be told. Who else might I need to talk to? Now, first I would go to Holly <laughs> before this person was ever talked to because certainly nobody wants to probably hear some of the- her husband would be eventually on the list. But now it gets even deeper. So there, let's say there's a problem with Holly and I go tell the elders, what might the elders now have to go do besides, besides Holly? They'd have to go to Holly first. What was that? Well, possibly her husband, but her husband may not know, so then they may have to go talk to other people who possibly do know. So now they may have to begin starting to dig into it. So before you know it, Originally, it was just Holly doing her horrible things that she was doing. But now, because we loved her and tried to get her help, we went to the eldership. Now the elders know about it. The elders tried to confirm it through somebody maybe that knew about it. And they went and told somebody. And before you know it, there's an awful lot of people that know about it. So even though it might have originally, you thought, was only known by Holly and whoever, or whatever it was she was doing, since we didn't say... It could spread real quick, right? So there's an awful lot involved when, you de- when you're trying to decide how do you address a situation like that. In most of those, in all of those situations, when it gets to that extent, I can't imagine any other way that you would repent of it other than coming forward. Let's say you, let's say you were wayward for 20 years. You think you could just show back up in the, in the seats and slide on in and act like nothing ever happened? Everybody knows you were in sin. Uh, I know a gentleman who had left the church for 20 years. He left the church when he was in the military, Uh, and so when he decided to come back to church, he didn't just show up at a congregation and sit in the seat like nothing ever happened. You know what he actually did? He went back to the original congregation where he went wayward, and that is where he went forward and repented and said, "I'm, I'm coming back to do right, but I needed to let everyone here know, which... I have to applaud that because what would most people do they wouldn't do that they're just going to slide into a congregation somewhere act like nothing ever happened so there has to be repentance i mean there has to be repentance there does have to be the confessing of our sins as jerry said we do confess our sins even within our prayers when we acknowledge them and i would hope you guys do that on a on a daily basis that you're looking back for areas where you fell short where you sinned and when you pray you're repenting of those sins. Uh, and, and one to another doesn't necessarily mean on Sunday morning. No. Yes. Right? I'm glad Jerry brought that Rep- out. A,
1: a sexual issue, let's say, you need a, your wife needs to know
0: about that. Yep. It may cause a problem in your marriage. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad, actually, Jerry brought that up. So I'm going to I'm going to touch on this. I'm not going to I'm not going to mention the gentleman's name. So he is a he is a minister within the Churches of Christ. Somebody came and asked him, another minister asked him privately uh, if somebody were to be unfaithful to their spouse, or if I were to be unfaithful to my spouse, how do I rectify that situation as far as um, confessing and so forth? And this gentleman told him, "Don't ruin." your ministry and don't ruin your marriage. Don't tell anybody, just keep it to yourself. And that way you can salvage your marriage and you don't ruin your ministry. Does anybody have a problem with what he told him? Absolutely. I'm glad I see head shaking. I have a problem with that. It up. It's, it's It's exactly covering it up. Um, and that was stated in front of a bunch of people. So again, I'm not going to say his name. Uh, The older I get and the more I learn, the the less that I I used to really appreciate this person, the the less that I appreciate some of the things I've heard them teach. Uh, That definitely is wrong. Is that the easy way out? Yep. Uh, Would it possibly save your marriage and would it possibly save your ministry? Possibly, if you're a minister. Not your soul. (laughs) Not your soul. How can you repent of something if you're not willing to actually acknowledge and take and take responsibility for it. Um, sometimes there is awful there is awful advice given with good intentions. Oh, our desire really should be able to get out of it without having to. I don't want to say pay the piper, but um, you're going to have to pay the consequences. So, and the and here's the thing: how many people could do that and not have it eat your, Not have it personally eat you alive? Just the guilt.
1: Because mm-hmm.
0: you're going to feel guilty the whole time because you know something that she doesn't know. Yep. So he says right here, he's going to be faithful. The Lord will be faithful to his promise of mercy and justice in providing atonement through the blood of Christ to forgive our sins. But what was that all based on? was based on the If. The if of confessing. Now again, you know, I, say, I said a cuss word, it slipped out of my mouth. Do I need to, and it's just a one-time thing. Guys, I cannot remember, I honestly cannot remember the last time I ever said a curse word. If one slipped out of my mouth, do I have to come up and confess for, it's, it's not a constant issue. It's not, I mean, it just happened. Um, can, I, can I repent of that and confess it to God? Oh, I, let that, I let that happen. I mean, there's, there's a lot of variation between sins.
1: Immediate acknowledgement. Of not
0: yes. So for those that may not be able to hear the example that we were talking about of using a, a curse word and Jerry said, you know, one of the things you could do is publicly acknowledge right then and there that you did that. Uh, and I would agree with him. That, and certainly, if you're a Christian among non-Christians, that's, one of the, that's probably one of the best things you could do, is to publicly acknowledge immediately that you did something that was not acceptable. Where I work, um, I noticed today there was a person using the a bunch of inappropriate language. And I found it funny that they didn't change their language, but after they did it, they apologized every time. But it was only because I was there. <laughs> They don't, they don't change their speech for everyone else, right? But if I were to talk like that, even if it was accidental, what would that do? That would really hinder what they thought about me. Not that they may, they may not have good thoughts about me anyways, but that would really hinder, especially when you know, we're trying to prove that we are different than everybody else. So we could actually talk about this for a very long time. He's not done. We're still going gonna to go on a little bit more here. Uh, But confession is certainly necessary. Well, let's take another sidetrack. There are groups that require confession, public confession, for your sins to be forgiven. And what group would require that that certainly is 100% unscriptural, even though they could come and give a verse like this? Anything come to mind? They take you in a little dark room. The Catholic Church they require confession Uh, and here's how it works for anybody who's not an ex-Catholic like me you walk into the little square box and you say forgive me father for I have sinned it's been you tell him how long six months a year two days whatever uh, since my last confession and then he will say go ahead and give your confession and then you'll tell him this is what I did and then he says your sins are forgiven Does anybody have a problem with that Can man forgive sins? No. He'll say your sins are forgiven and your punishment is going to be, you need to go home and say uh, eight Hail Marys, four uh, Glory Bees, and you need to say two Our Fathers or whatever it is he comes up with, right? So he asks you to do a meritorious work, basically. uh, And he then says your sins are forgiven. Who's the only person that can forgive sins? Yeah, not man. He continues on with his thought here, and again, think about the world that we live in, the, the religious world that we live in. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Well, again, we already mentioned we have a lot of groups that try to teach that uh, we do not sin. Specifically, the majority of the faith only groups will teach after you've become a Christian, you can not sin so as, so as to lose your salvation. We've already shown that you can fall from grace. Here's the thing, though. God says we have all sinned, and He declares there's none righteous, no, not one. Now, does that mean that we cannot be righteous? We can all be righteous right now. You guys probably don't think of yourself as holy. Can you be holy? Can you be pure? Can you be righteous? You can. Uh, Let me say it this way. (laughs) We'll ask two questions. Who here thinks that they sin? And let me ask it a different way. Who here is in the sinning business? Two totally different mindsets, right? Uh, I know people that are, they are in the sinning business. That is what they do. Uh, they're not worried about whether it's a sin or not. Uh, they may not even know that they are active sinners, but they're in the sinning business. There are Christians that are in the sinning business. Let me give one that probably nobody would like to hear. How about Hebrews 10 25? Not forsaking the assembling as the manner of some is. Like they had a problem with that in the first century. Uh, and people who are constantly forsaking the assembling uh, intentionally, that's, they're, in the, they're in the active sinning business. Now they don't they don't look at that as being a, a, a sin. Uh, it is. Uh, I'm, thinking of, I'm thinking of a Christian right now. They never, ever, uh, they've ever they never become members here. Uh, they came, they've come a few times. They're forsaking the assembling. We know who they are. I don't have to say their names. Everyone here, if they were to walk in, would be shocked to see them. We know they live here in town. We know that this is where they worship. Uh, but they don't come here. So I'm not going to say their name. Uh, they are in the sinning business. I don't know a better way to say it than that. <clears throat> so there's a difference between occasionally falling to sin and repenting of it and trying hard to live live right, righteous again and be faithful versus those who are actively living in sin. He says we make him a liar. Well, how do we break this down as to what he's saying? I think most people probably get it, but here's what he's saying. <clears throat> If we believe or teach that we are sinless or incapable of sinning, as many of the faith-only groups believe, we make God a liar. Now, here's the thing. Can God lie? No. God can't lie. We know God can't lie, so we know His statement is correct, um, that all people have sinned and come short of the glory of God, as we know from inspiration of the Scriptures, and we've all sinned because He can't lie. Now, I do want to point something out here. It ought, it ought to be noted that the words concerning sin found here in 1 John verses 1 through, uh, 1 through 8 through 10, 1, 8 through 10, are addressed to Christians. These are, this is not addressed to Gentile sinners. This is to those who were already Christians in the church. I mean, that's the purpose of 1 John. He's writing to Christians. The common argument made by many of the faith-only groups is, is you can sin uh, up until you become a Christian, and then after you become a Christian, you cannot sin so as to fall from grace. John is writing to Christians, and he's saying that they have sin. Okay? Again, it totally refutes that idea of faith-only salvation. So this really, as we look here at 1 John, and he's going to continue on with this for a few more verses as he really pounds it into our head. It's a reminder of the Christian's constant need of a savior for our sins. A lot of people think that, well, you need Jesus until you become a Christian. Uh, at that point, if you could become a Christian and never sin again, would you still need Jesus? If, you, if all you have to do is come into contact with the, with the blood of Christ, and they think that happens when you believe, which we know that it doesn't. It's when you come into contact with the blood through baptism. but. If Once Saved, Always Saved really did exist, which it doesn't, would you even need Jesus anymore? Would you have to have an active relationship with Jesus at all past that point? Not logically, right? Um, If the very second I believe I became a Christian and nothing I could do would ever cause me to fall from grace... Really, all I would need to do is is believe in Jesus one time, and then I could go live the most reprobate, horrible life I ever wanted to, and I'd still get to go to heaven. And there are groups that teach that. There are Baptist groups that teach that. I actually read an article where a Baptist minister said, right after I obeyed the gospel, I could go out and murder somebody, rape somebody, and rob banks, and he went on and said, I would still go to heaven. Let that sink in for a minute. That is a deplorable Really horrible doctrine. I mean, it's that's that's doctrine straight out of the pits of hell. I don't know what else to say about it than that. He's go ahead, Jerry. That
1: those kind of comments come from those that have debated people that have, you know, are reasoning with them on the matter. And that's the only thing. You, the conclusion for them that's what they can do because they're taking
0: their stand. And if God's grace covers all. What would, what would cause you to not take that extreme into universalism? And I know a gentleman, as I've mentioned before, who uh, was a minister within the church, who he took that extreme, that grace covers all, and that extreme led him to believe, uh, and he was reading John Mark Hicks at the time, led him to believe that, there, that man is under no law whatsoever, But is under grace, and he now believes in full universal salvation. That's and that's guys. That's a pretty logical place to go from that idea of grace that covers everything. I I I can see how somebody can easily allow the pendulum to swing over to uh, from faith-only salvation into the idea of universalism. I think I think the same application must be made also for preterism. They teach that Jesus came back uh, in the form of the Roman government in AD 70 and that the sacrifice was already made on man's behalf. I think logically, if everyone is if there in essence, if there's no law and if everyone's covered by grace, I think preterism and I think Max King and some of the other people who taught variants of what we call uh, hyper-preterism, realized eschatology, and so forth, I think ultimately that doctrine also, just like many who teach faith only salvation, I think a lot of that, it literally will point you into the direction of universalism. I think they deal, it's funny how a lot of different types of error deal with the same issues. Do you think that there were Christians who thought that they could sin and still have grace that allowed them to uh, do whatever they wanted? I think I listed this here on a couple of slides. Let me go back and ask. Let me, let me read. I could probably quote it. I'm thinking of Romans 6, 1 and 2. Help me out. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid... How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How close did I get? Yep, I got it pretty much verbatim. You don't think they were dealing with that problem within the first century church? I mean, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Pretty much what he says is how in the world can you even think that way? And yet we have groups that teach that. We have have groups teaching you can continue in sin and grace will abound. The same issues they had then are the same issues we have now. So, he's talking to Christians here. Let's point out, we're talking to Christians here about dealing with sin. Somebody may say, well, then what about the Gentile or uh, the alien sinner? Well, the alien sinner is addressed in other scriptures. Uh, We mention a couple of them probably every week. Um, Peter, as he was standing there on the day of Pentecost, who was he talking to? Remember, the old law had been nailed to the cross. The Jews are no longer in a covenant relationship with God. He's talking to Jews who are living under the law of Moses. They are alien sinners, though. There is a new system in place. He gives the very first gospel sermon, and he tells them there are some things they need to do. And what was one of those? Repentance, right, which is tied in with confession. Matter of fact, the very fact that they would that they would publicly repent of that uh, was public confession. You've actually got them confessing Christ, but repenting of their sins, you would have a number of those things tied in with what you've got here. 1 John uh, 1:9 shows how the Christian, when he sins, may obtain remission of sins. But for the alien sinner, how do they get remission of sins? Well, they have to obey the gospel. So these are two totally different things. Now, again, John's writing to the Christian. And I have to believe that there were different variants uh, of faith only. I do know there were, there were Gnostic uh, ideas at the time, which I think we have really being pulled into uh, uh, maybe even there, Romans 6 uh, 1 and 2. Uh, you had Docetism being taught, which is an early form of Gnosticism. Uh, there were a number of issues with that. And, the very, and many of the things that they believed were very fil- familiar to what we find from faith-only groups being taught today. All right, I'm getting on a sidetrack. It would be an interesting study to do. Uh, the teachings of Docetists and Gnostics as compared to uh, faith-only or premillennial groups today. You'd find a lot of similarities. 1 John 2.1. Look at it this way. All of the stuff I just told you in these previous passages, uh, about sinning, about sin being present in one's life, about the need to repent, the need to confess. First John 2 1, he says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. Let me pause. What's he saying? Huh? He's worried for our soul. He's worried for our soul, and he says, I'm telling you all this for a reason, right? Uh, I'm sure that there are people in the crowd sometimes when I preach on a lesson who do not need that lesson. However, is it still, is it still good for them to hear it? Yeah, it's good, for them, it's good for me to go back and to tell them those things, right? Uh, These things write I unto you or I speak unto you that you say not. You may not currently have an issue with that problem. It'd be good for you to listen to it so I can remind you. I'm sure there were some that didn't have issues, maybe serious issues with this, but he's telling them, I'm telling you this so that you sin not. And if any man sin, don't think, certainly we don't want to sin, but don't think, and I think some Christians do struggle with this, that if you sin, all hope is lost and you should just give up. Right? Has anybody ever known a Christian who really struggled with their faith and because they struggle with it all the time, they finally just said, you know what, I'm done, and they walked away. They had another option. Here's the other option. And if any man sin, your first option is, yeah, you can just throw your hands up and give up. Or two, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. However, it ties back into the previous verse that you have to do what? You've got to confess and acknowledge and you continue to be righteous, right? Compare this over to Romans 15, 4. I put the verse in here right before I left the house, so I don't have it memorized. I should. It's actually the same passage, basically. He says, For whatsoever things were written afore aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope, right? For whatsoever things were written aforetime. The reason the reason we had all those things happen was so that we could learn from them. What's John saying? I'm writing you this so that you can learn from this, right? I'm trying to teach you that you should not sin but if you do sin don't think all hope is lost you still have an advocate with the father now he's approaching them in a manner of love do we find at times where people are approached very differently yes we have times where paul was very sincere i do want to point out if you go back and read the letters of paul and usually people will go over and say you know paul paul Oftentimes, he let them have it a bunch of times. Is that how you normally find Paul opening his letters? Let's, I mean, go look, at look for example, at the Corinthians. Did he have to give it to him in, in the book of, or in Corinth, in the book of Corinthians? He gave it to him. How does he start the letter off? He doesn't, I mean, there, numerous times throughout his letters, even when he has to be very firm, he lets them know that he has confidence in them, that he loves them. Uh, so it's not like he's just showing up and he's just lamb blasting them. I mean, there's... There's times for that and there's times when it's needed. There's also the time where you have to address someone like a, maybe like a, love, like a child uh, or, you know, really this is kind of a fatherly uh, way to address them, my little children. I think, would, I think you would get, if you read this letter, there's a totally different way of receiving his teachings when he says my little children than if he were to just put the hammer down and, and phrase this extremely harsh. Um, like a teacher to the student, right? Yes, it's... it's to as, as their teacher. It, I mean, it comes across as somebody who really loves you. Now, am I saying that if somebody's harsh with you, they don't love you? And I'm not saying that. How many of you guys have ever had a parent be harsh with you because they loved you? Both ways, both ways uh, could be applicable depending on the situation, right? He's addressing the recipients of the letter as a father would address a child. And so the manner is love and concern. And he's trying to get them to understand, I'm telling you all of this so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, it's not like all hope is lost. You still have an advocate with the father, but that doesn't remove what you were already told to do as far as uh, confessing the sin. So he's writing to exhort them to be pure, to have a holy life. I mean, he says sin not, which as we know is the only acceptable life for anybody who is a Christian. And again, I think that goes back into the other verse. If you say that you don't have any sin, you're a liar. Well, are there people that believe that they are uh, in fellowship with God and, and so forth, but they can do whatever they want? The only acceptable life for anybody who claims to be a follower of Christ is to live a life according to the New Testament. And again, it's extremely logical. I think we get that. I do want to point this out. If He says, and if any man sin. The word that you find in the Greek there is not the word man. Okay? Uh, that word there is actually, would be translated, could be translated as anybody. And if anybody sin. He is addressing the entirety of the congregation. Uh, you do have to remember the Greek is very similar to, well, we're not allowed to do it in English anymore. Uh, in English, how would you write scholarly uh, articles, letters, thesis papers, things like that? They were always written how? They used to be. It used to be written in masculine form. Right? When it was addressed to everybody, uh, you would just put uh, he Of course, now in our politically correct society, you have to put he/she. The Greek was the same as the English. They always used masculine form. Okay. If here's the point: if one sins, if anybody sins, there's a way of forgiveness. Now it doesn't exclude what we've already talked about. He's not saying that you can go do whatever you want and you can be forgiven. Let, Let me point this up or point this out. Has anybody ever known someone? as a Christian, who knew something was wrong, but they said, or they thought, well, I'll just do it, and then I'll repent afterwards. Do you guys think you could do that? Do you think that would be... Do you think you could, in your mind, determine to directly sin against God with the idea that I'm going to do it anyways, and then I'll repent of it? God is not mocked. mocked. That's exactly where I was going to go. That is... Guys, that is just a blatant... That is a blatant rejection of his word, knowing you're going to do it, and then thinking you can mock God or play God and come back and repent afterwards. Uh, this didn't happen to me, but I do know a minister that said that there was a couple, he was doing pre, premarital counseling with them. Um, and he said, you know, if uh, he said, I, I guess I, they were both Christians. He said, I want to ask if you guys are currently being intimate. And the guy said, we are, but after we get married, we're going to repent of it. So what were they saying yeah we know what his word says we're just gonna do whatever we want we're gonna mock God and then we'll repent of it later it'll be okay no uh, it won't be Uh, when I did premarital counseling with a couple I didn't I didn't ask them here's what I said if you currently are having premarital relations stop it immediately repent of it and don't do it anymore and you know how quiet it was It was dead silent. Do I think they were having premarital relations? Yes, I do. I didn't ask them, I just said, if you're doing it, repent of it, stop it, and don't do it anymore. And the acknowledgement I got was, and I'm hoping that was dealt with as it should have been. Um, So, he's not giving permission here to go do whatever you want and then thinking, well, you can have an advocate with the Father. So this isn't permission, this is clarification. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Don't read this like the Baptist reads it. The Baptist reads it and says, if you're born of God, it's impossible for you to sin. Read it like this. If you are born of God, you cannot sin, meaning you can't do it. You know you can't do it. You shouldn't do it. It's not allowed to do it. And if you don't think that's the correct rendering, read the rest of the passage. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. It's not saying he can't do it. We all know we can. I can become a Christian and go out and sin, right? That's not what John's saying. He's saying you cannot do it because you know you can't do it. You're born again. You're a new creation in Christ. You can't think that way. Again, Romans 6, 1 and 2. You can't go do it, Okay goes back to your soul. Lose that right to heaven, right? If you choose to do that. Mhm. Can you choose to do that? You can.
1: Now we have a law,
0: right? In our life. Yeah. You're going to be breaking the law. You're not supposed to break the law. Is it open? I could type it in. Do I have my Bible software open? I do. I actually I'm on Hebrews right now. Yep, let me read it. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. If I think for a second I can mock God, go out and commit a sin that I know is a sin, and then think I can, I can repent of that and play God that way, I, I need to know better than that. And i got to quit, guys. We've already gone too long. Um, he's saying, he's not saying you can't do it. We all know that we can. We can all go out and commit sin. He's saying as a Christian you can't think that way, Right? You cannot go out and do that. That is not acceptable. Yeah. Christ was our perfect example. He could have gone out and lived a life like that. Uh, but he didn't. He chose not to. He chose to be obedient. All right, I know I went long. I always do. Uh, and sorry we veered off, but I think when you start trying to talk about any, any Bible passage and relating it to the Scriptures today, you're really going to have to take sidesteps as you try to... Uh, correlate what you're reading and how it's applicable so I'm going to hand this over to